Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Catalyst Conversation. We are here today with Alan Brockstein of New Cannabis Ventures. Alan, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Mike. Give us a little bit of background about um, New Cannabis Ventures. Sure. Well, so I guess I should start with the predecessor, not predecessor, but what preceded it, which was uh, 420 Investor. And that's uh, kind of uh, where I made a name for myself in the space. Uh, it was 2013 and early 2013. And I was an independent analyst working with uh, a handful of uh, small to medium-sized institutional investors. And I had a couple of other things going on as well. Uh, and I stumbled into the two facts that I was unaware of. Number one, that uh, Washington and Colorado had voted to legalize in, uh, in uh, November, just before that. And number two, that there were actually publicly traded companies that were supposedly cannabis companies. And so uh, I was a prolific contributor at the time to Seeking Alpha. And uh, I, was, I just stumbled across this article about this really scammy company and it piqued my interest. And uh, there was no looking back after that. And I ended up spending several months doing due diligence on the handful of companies that were trading back uh, in early 2013 and really came to the conclusion that only GW Pharma was, was really a, a solid company. Uh, but I also spent time learning about the promise of medicinal cannabis and learning about the social injustices and things like that. So I really ramped up and uh, I had a subscription service uh, for, for people interested in publicly traded stocks. And some of those people and some of my readers at Seeking Alpha uh, were kind of pushing me towards focusing on the cannabis space. And in the summer of 2013, when uh, Sanjay Gupta did his uh, weed documentary, it was, the light bulb kind of went off that finally a mainstream uh, person was really embracing um, medical cannabis. And then the coal memo hit uh, a month later. And that's when I launched 420 Investor, which continues to this day. Uh, and, and that's all about uh, helping individual and I have some institutional investors to really understand the publicly traded landscape uh, better and to give them ideas uh, and news about what's going on. Uh, you asked about New Cannabis Ventures. I followed two years later and it kind of leveraged what I'm best known for at 420 Investor, which is taking a lot of information and distilling it. And uh, you know, I think the cannabis industry suffers from too much information and you have all this media out there that every little thing that happens is some big news. And so if you're trying to follow the space, it can be very challenging because you get bombarded by things that are not important, companies that aren't real news about them, for example. So we decided, my partner Joel and I decided in 2015 to launch um, New Cannabis Ventures as you know, totally open to the public, no registration required, no fees anything. So public facing, uh, supported by ads. And, and that's been our model since then. Uh, we work, uh, we've worked over the years and initially it was only pri private companies could advertise that we were able to work through that. And so beginning in 2016, a year later, uh, we, we began working with public companies and some of them we continue to support to this day. Uh, so many have come and gone along the way, but the idea is really simple. It is to provide, it's to be like kind of the Wall Street Journal of the, the cannabis industry and to provide very deep coverage of the space. And what we do at New Cannabis Ventures, it's about 
uh, 80% curated content. The curated content is basically, it's as simple as rerunning press releases, but they're, they're enhanced. It's not just cut and paste and that's it. They're thoughtful titles, good imagery, tagging, and a lot of things that really can help people to, to um, understand the story over time. Uh, and those curated press releases revolve typically around capital raises, financial reporting, and m and those, those are the three main topics. And then the other 20% of uh, what we do is proprietary. And that tends to be, we do about two interviews a week. These interviews are with uh, both public and private companies, sometimes investors. And uh, the, the people tend to be North American, but a lot of them are Canadian. So it's not just US centric. And uh, so that's, that's one piece of content. The other one, we have seven indices that we're running. And uh, so each month we'll write uh, an update about the indexes. Uh, a third area is uh, that same monthly review process. We have uh, the cannabis revenue and profit tracker. And there we list over 50 companies sorted by revenue. Uh, both in uh, Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars, and uh, we'll, we'll write a review each month of that. Um, and then uh, another piece of proprietary content, uh, there's several markets where I'm interpreting data as it comes out, uh, and those markets are Illinois and Michigan, which uh, both those states uh, issue monthly uh, revenue data. And the other one I do is Canada, which StatsCan puts out Canadian. And so that's the type of content we run. And then there's one other piece, I guess I should mention on Sundays. So we have, we have a policy of pretty much it's non-editorial. People that come to our site shouldn't know if it's a client or not that the news is about. And we don't tell people buy this stock, sell that stock. I do that for 20 investor, of course, but uh, new canvas ventures. The, the only real editorial thing that we do is each and every Sunday. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's really easy. I, we publish a weekly newsletter and each newsletter has a piece of what I would call editorial uh, content. And it, it's not so much editorial as it is, uh, I would say educational, but what we're trying to do is inform our audience in a very first person voice and to, to tell them you know, what we think lies ahead that might be important or things that people may be misinterpreting or misunderstanding. So. Each week we're, we're writing about that, Mike. And, and then um, when you talk about the public companies, these are typically Canadian companies because we don't have U.S. public companies yet. We have companies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's been one of the great changes over the last few years. So okay. when, when it all started. Because without, I thought without federal legalization, we don't actually, they can't trade. So they do trade. They just don't trade on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. Okay. They definitely trade. So just so, so your audience understands the landscape. In 2013, most of these companies were masquerading as, as cannabis companies. Uh, GW Pharma was an exception, but uh, uh, it, and it actually listed on the NASDAQ in 2013. And, and that's been the only plant-touching biotech uh, to, to, to do that. There have been some synthetic cannabinoid companies hmm. uh, that have made it to the higher exchange. But uh, it was uh, that, you know, for the next few years, it was really these stocks traded on the OTC. And so real American cannabis companies didn't really trade. So you were hmm. definitely accurate then. It was a bunch of wannabes. And, uh, and so 
a, a really big change was up in Canada. We started to see the CSE and then the TSX list these Canadian uh, LPs. And those companies in 2018 were able to begin to get NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange listings. But a big change was, so the CSE had started to list American companies, but it wasn't really until 2018 that the really the largest US cannabis operators went public through the CSE for the most part. And a, a couple of them through SPAC process through the NEO. But, uh, and so uh, they have traded since then on the OTC. They're unable to list on higher exchanges, which creates just a whole litany of issues. But even with that said, in the United States on the OTC, they trade millions of dollars a day. And there's also a ETF now that invests in, in swaps of these companies and that trades publicly and that has over a billion in assets. And you know some of those position sizes are uh, 100 to $125 million of those companies. So it's indirect way for anybody that wants to participate. Yeah, I, I guess I was focused on NASDAQ and um, you know the other stock. Exchange. But we have ancillary companies. And so yeah. that's become a big part of the market. And you have, you know, Scott's Miracle Grow's been in the in the space for quite some time, trained on the New York Stock Exchange. And then you had IIPR go public as uh, is, is a REIT uh, back at the end of 2016. Then you had Grow Generation uplist to the NASDAQ and Urban Grow uh, uplist to the NASDAQ. And we've had new companies like Hydro Farm, some other REITs. There's actually a good dozen or so uh, ancillary companies that are in the United States trading on these higher exchanges. Yeah, because I know there's a couple of foreign companies trading on the NASDAQ but because they're legal where they are. Right, the Canadian LPs and some uh, Israeli Latin companies. American companies, things like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you were in this space, you know, 2013, 2015, then you experienced the green rush. Right. Right. Um, and like you said, a lot of these companies weren't truly cannabis companies. They were other things. Um, what was that like? So it was pretty bizarre. I mean, the best example I can give is how the BBC wanted to interview me in early January uh, 2014 when Colorado legalized. I was like, the BBC interviewing me? This is insane. But uh, so, you know, it was tough. I, I was in an awkward position of really supporting the industry and its mission, but also wanting to protect investors. And so when we came into the year, I, I was warning people, you know, these companies are bogus, but there was so much demand for the stock. It sent them up like 10 to 20 times. And of course, things like that always end poorly. And, and so my, my kind of mission was to keep my subscribers um, aware of how the future would change, how we would get legitimate companies trading publicly. And so a lot of my focus was on Canada once those companies uh, really uh, began trading in 2014, 2015. And you know, once 2018 hit, things got a lot more exciting. I, I had been asked to speak at the CFA Society in Houston uh, several times. And I always said, you know what, it, it would be a waste of people's time. It, it's just not time yet. But in April of 2017, I was able to accept the invitation. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I said, you know, I've turned this invitation down for a few years now. But and I'm not telling you to buy cannabis stocks in April of 17. But what I'm telling you is, as an investor, there, these are but finally 
on the radar for something that can become investable. And, and they have. And so as a CFA, when I first showed up, being a CFA didn't really help. Having a bullshit detector helped. And then as the years progressed, still having a CFA didn't really help because there, it was still more venture capital and not so much. These were publicly traded companies that were should have been private. Uh, but there, there was a land grab and you know, race for capital and being public helped on that. But I have to say, uh, in the last uh, two years, 2020, 2021, uh, you know, there have been a lot of analysts that have come into the space covering uh, the American companies. Uh, there are, uh, you know, the, there's services out there that have all the consensus estimates and everything. Companies are reporting positive adjusted EBITDA, some companies positive net income. We're talking about companies that are both ancillary and American direct cannabis companies. So it has become to the point where having my CFA is helpful. You can really be an analyst and start to talk, you know, look at earnings projections and talk about valuations in a very meaningful way. So it, it has changed a lot. And so where is the market now? I mean, we're seeing a lot of M&A activity. So yeah. So this year has been uh, the mirror of 2021, 2020. 2021 started off great and is ending horribly when it comes to the stocks. 2020 started off horribly uh, and ended great. Now, what happened in 2020, uh, at the end of 2019, the, the vaping crisis was really wreaking havoc. And I, I use the words capital crunch over and over. And the reality was capital available to our industry totally dried up. And then the pandemic hit and it looked like lights out for a lot of companies. And the pandemic turned out to be a blessing in disguise because uh, essential services is what these companies were declared. And they were able to do things like curbside pickup and delivery. And all of a sudden, e-commerce started to be a factor. And uh, and, and then on top of that, you had more and more states and also municipalities seeing that cannabis would help with jobs, for example, and tax revenue. So things really lined up uh, as 2020 played out, that back half and stocks went up a lot. And uh, we, we had follow through into 2021, but uh, as usual, things got ahead of themselves. And I was pretty good at calling that out pretty much at the top. Uh, for my subscribers. What I wasn't so good at was just predicting how long and how deep this correction uh, from, from that action in 2020 would, would be. So where we find ourselves right now is a lot of these stocks have pulled back to where they were in the fourth quarter of last year. So better than they were in the spring of 2020 by far, but still way down from these levels in February. So What's going on is a little bit of technical uh, and, and, a, and a little bit of fundamental. And so one of the things in 2020, we saw very robust cannabis sales growth. And, you know, it was hard to tell at the time how much of this was due to e-commerce, how much of it was due to things like, well, people had extra money. They, they couldn't go anywhere. So they had extra time, extra money, and they had a lot of anxiety. So they were consuming a lot of cannabis. So there was a little bit of a shift out of the illicit market due to the e-commerce factor, I think, and maybe some focus on safety. Uh, but at the same time, there was definitely some one-time factors. And so this year, we've seen some very tough comparisons over the last few months. There's uh, glimmers of hope that that's improving, but still there's been some slowdowns. Also, I would say, uh, you know, part of the excitement last year was 
that there'd be more state legalization in the fall elections in November, we saw uh, the most important state, New Jersey, of the five that voted. Um, but here we are at the end of 2021, and there's still, there's no date set yet. So a lot of the publicly traded companies are set to go in New Jersey. And this is very different from other states that have legalized. Uh, some states have had this where the publicly traded companies are involved, but New Jersey, it's almost 100% large publicly traded cannabis companies. They're in their nascent medical market with some of them holding inventory, waiting to sell. And then we saw New York legalized, but oh, by the way, not till 2023. Virginia legalized, but oh, by the way, not till 2024. Hopefully that'll be a little earlier. So it's been a year of delays. And, and then of course the California uh, price implosion. Uh, most of the larger MSOs aren't that involved in the state. Uh, some aren't involved at all. So it, it hasn't wreaked as much havoc necessarily on those companies. There are some companies that are focused on California that have seen their stocks come down 80% from the peaks earlier this year as prices plunged there. Uh, so that's that's been an issue, but it, it also seeds some uncertainty, like, well, if it can happen in California, maybe it'll happen somewhere else. So it does weigh on sector sentiment. And then the final point I would make, so one of the reasons why people got so excited earlier in the year was the, the hint that there could be federal legalization. I, I've been saying for a long time, federal legalization is gonna take a long time. It's complex. The issues around taxation, around interstate commerce, around social equity. These are in a, in a regulation by the FDA, for example. These are very complex issues. And you already have all these states doing things differently uh, at the adult use level. And so to kind of you know, rein all that in and have a unified uh, standard is gonna take a while. And we saw in Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau was elected on a platform of legalizing for adult use, and yet it still took three years. They were already federally legal for medical, and it took another three years till that first gram was sold. So, so what has happened? So a lot of people showed up thinking we're going to legalize tomorrow, which never was going to happen. But it's been worse than that. Not only is it not happening, the Democrats kind of had this opportunity to do something. The Senate has done absolutely nothing with respect to even talking about cannabis. And so finally, we kind of had control of the Senate, not really because not 60 votes, but Chuck Schumer and, uh, and the others, they, they took an approach that I was critical of from day one, which is trying to go big and, and get everything done in one piece of legislation. And to do that, when you had only a nominally supportive president, he's really not for cannabis legalization. So uh, they, they blew it. They had an opportunity to be incremental and, and take the ball and move it down the field. Instead, they threw a Hail Mary and it didn't work. And so uh, that has left people worried about things. That legislation had high taxes and it had a high regulatory burden with FDA, which in, again, gets people nervous because the US cannabis industry status quo is working really well. Uh, there have been these delays, like in Illinois, there's been some delays on dispensary license. So look, it's the cannabis industry. It's two steps forward, one step back all the time. But when you start throwing out uncertainty about taxation and regulation and add into that, the interstate commerce could really alter the dynamics. That's kind of scary. Now, for those that are listening, I want to say there's been a huge positive this year. 
I talked uh, just a few moments ago about the capital crunch that arrived at the end of 2019 during the vaping crisis. And this year, we're seeing, well, first of all, these companies took advantage of the price rise in the first part of the year and sold a lot of stock and really improved their balance sheet, which was turned out to be really good. And I, I'm, I'm glad that happened. Uh, and the stocks went up after they sold that stock. So people that bought it had a chance to exit profitably if they wanted to. But what's happened that's very different from history is that we have seen a tremendous proliferation of non-equity capital available. We've seen several REITs uh, go public, uh, uh, one mortgage, I'm sorry, one equity REIT and two mortgage REITs with another one behind it, uh, Chicago Atlantic and AFC Gamma. These companies, they're, they're taking regular investor money and recycling it into the cannabis industry through either sale leasebacks or through uh, uh, mortgages or, or debt. And then we've also seen a, a big increase in the amount of debt capital available. So a lot of investors, it's a different group of investors. A lot of, a lot of investors won't buy OTC stocks or they won't invest in CSE listed companies, but they'll do debt. And you know, debt's more protected than equity, right? So for whatever reason, you know, we, there's a pool of institutional investors that are putting money into federally illegal cannabis companies through debt. And this week, this past week, I don't know when you're gonna air this, but uh, in, in mid-December, Curaleaf closed the largest debt raise ever, 400 million at 8%. And then they have the ability to expand it by 200 million. And I think people that are looking at the stock prices are missing the bigger picture that uh, these things I mentioned earlier, New Jersey, New York, Virginia, it's all happening. And oh, by the way, Michigan is continuing to develop. I mentioned Illinois, new dispensaries there will help. Other states are expanding. There's other states that could go public, uh, that could go legal. So whether or not we make any progress at all on federal legalization or some of the things that could happen that fall short of federal legalization, um, still there's going to be massive growth. But a good investor would say, okay, but how are we going to fund it? Well, here's the answer. They've taken on this debt capital and they have access to sale leaseback. There are a lot of companies out there that are trading with a billion dollar more market cap that have done no sale leaseback. So that's still available. So I'm very encouraged as I look out uh, about the American cannabis industry, as bad as it feels right now, uh, long, that was a long answer. The short answer, as I said at the beginning, it's the total mirror of 2020. And just like things were crazy in early 2021, I was telling my subscribers that this, it's not sustainable. The valuations were, the prices got to where I thought they should be 10 months later. And, you know, uh, I'd say since then, the fundamentals didn't really change that much. We didn't see the, the revenue estimates go down or anything like that. So, you know, maybe you could argue that I had the wrong idea about what the valuation should be. Maybe, I don't know. But uh, as I look out now, honestly, I think these stocks could double or triple over the next year without federal legalization. And I mean, just to wrap it up this, on this point, it wasn't that long ago that people that were gonna invest in the space had to worry about potentially being arrested or having their money confiscated. That's not what we're talking about anymore. Now we're talking about being able to invest in companies that are uh, cash flow positive and where we have a situation where the federal government is trying 
to figure out how to legalize, not how to beat it back. And do, do the debt vehicles sort of allow for, um, you know, less scrutiny as far as, you know, like the public companies are always focused on revenue and meeting their numbers. Does the debt give them a little product, give them a little more breathing room? I don't think so. I mean, they have covenants and things like that. So no, I mean, I, I think it's actually the opposite and it's just, it should be encouraging to equity investors. These people that are lending, okay, first of all, they are first in line. So let's just be cognizant of that. But still, these tend to be more conservative investors. And I mean, right now it's a pretty good bet because, you know, they're, they're let's take Cureleaf. They have a 6 billion market cap. The market cap thinks they're worth 6 billion and the lenders are the first 400 million. And you look mm-hmm. at the, EBITDA and things like that, it's certainly not onerous. This is, it's not like what we saw in Canada in the early days when the companies had limited revenue, huge losses, and yet they were borrowing hundreds of millions of dollars. They had convertible debt. And I, I remember, I'm not going to name names, but I talked to the CEO of a, of a major LP. I said, I don't understand why you don't just sell stock. Because why should we sell stock? This, this debt will end up selling the stock at a higher price. It's convertible at a premium. I'm like, but things change. And what, what happens if you don't? And he was like, dumbfounded. Well, it was a disaster. And I don't have to name the company. It was a, literally a disaster for every single one of those companies. And, and now we have a situation where I'm sure most of your listeners here are familiar with Canopy Growth. And I've been watching that for uh, unravel for a long time and uh, have been very negative on it for quite some time. I think at this price, it's harder to be negative and there's no liquidation event like maybe Hexo might be facing. But wow, when Constellation put all that money into it in, in late 2018, they had uh, very limited debt and they had like 4 billion. I don't remember off the top of my head the exact numbers, but they had a lot of cash and very limited debt. And here we are three years later and they just had to do a fire sale on one of their assets. And, and so I may be wrong about my prediction that I've been making, but I've publicly stated that at the end of this year, 1231, so it's not their year, but the year, uh, Canopy Growth's debt will be bigger than their cash. That's not going to be true because they just sold their European uh, pharmaceutical operation. So I'm going to be a little wrong, I have a feeling, but that's why they did it. They're, they're actually facing funding problems. They have a lot of debt. They've never had to address their debt. Tilray had to address their debt. Aurora had to address their debt. Supreme had to address their debt. Organogram had a lot of debt. They did a strategic uh, investment with uh, British American Tobacco. Uh, Oxley has a lot of debt. They've done well in the derivative products, but they're trying to deal with their debt. And I don't think they've done it. We've seen a lot of companies uh, stumble on their debt. So I'm very aware of this. And uh, I think the U.S. companies could get into a pinch, but it, it would require um, a regressive federal policy or, or something like that. It, it, the way things are right now, it's not a problem. Uh, cannabis consumption's not going to drop. I mean, maybe people be wrong about uh, it going up, but that it should. More states are legalizing, more municipalities are allowing. So I don't think that's a problem. And I think equity investors should be happy, A, because these conservative institutional investors, it's a second set of eyes. And B, it's reducing the need to, to sell equity. So, and, and we saw, you know, Canada was hot for a while and then it 
sort of faltered than the U.S. has had. Are you seeing other areas that are looking to sort of um, emerge? You know, it's it's tough. And uh, in, in I've been this is a question I've been thinking about for a long time. And I've told my subscribers, uh, I told the public, I expected in 2021 the the shift. Not that people wouldn't care about the United States, but they'd be more interested than they've been historically in other geographies. And, and honestly, I'm not sure it's it's played out. I'll, I'll say, yes, this is true, but not to the extent that I thought. I mean, a year ago, I thought Mexico and Israel would legalize this year, and, and neither of those played out. They still could, but just like all things cannabis, things seem to take longer than we'd expect. But uh, the Latin American com companies that trade publicly, people got excited about them, and they lost this whole idea of it reminds me of an old Seinfeld episode. Everybody wants to export. Nobody wants to import except for Poland. Right. So uh, so I think, you know, we've seen some very interesting things this year. I mean, first of all, back to Cureleaf, they made an investment in Europe. And most of the time when I've asked or when at New Cannabis Ventures, we've asked in our interviews about, you know, do you care about international? They're like, no, the U.S. is where it's at, it's a huge market, blah, blah, blah. And some California companies, no, all we care is about California. So people have been very focused and it was interesting to see Cureleaf do this. And so, you know, and their timing could prove to be really good, right? I mean, with Germ you know, Germany potentially legalizing, I mean, they could be in a good position. So I think, you know, people have been way ahead of their skis when it comes to international. And you know, I think the best example is, is Germany. And I told people, you know, the, the large LPs, if Germany is going to do well, would be the way to play it. They're there. It's an export, you know, it's an import market. And, uh, and that medical market's been very slow to develop, been a huge disappointment. And so, you know, so far being focused on international and not being more focused on just the U.S. hasn't really been worthwhile, honestly. But I do think that's going to change. And I think uh, Israel is a, a pretty promising market, uh, especially if it could uh, go legal. And there are a couple of names that trade in the United States, Intercure, which is CanDoc, and uh, I Am Cannabis trade in, in the U.S. And, and I've noticed they've been doing well recently. And uh, so a little bit of separation from the pack there. Uh, and I think that maybe reflects some of the underlying fundamentals and the, the rapidly growing uh, Israeli medical cannabis market, but also the uh, uh, prospects for potential legalization. Who knows? Yeah, we've had a lot of dialogue in the, in the last couple of weeks around Germany. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the conclusion there is things will happen. Um, but not unlike you talked about in the States, it'll take two or three years to kick in, even if they move yeah. forward. Um, right. You know, so they do have medicinal. It's slow, but it, it's growing. Um, there is the belief that it, they will have adult use, um, but nobody knows what that looks like and no one understands, you know, how to do that. They don't know how, whether or not this is going to be a dispensary model, whether it goes through, you know, right, right now all the medicinal goes through, the pharmacies, pharmacies yeah. you know, and that's the only place that is available. So nobody knows how any of that's going to roll out. So that's two or three years away, but right. it's a big opportunity. You know, Germany is clearly the largest um, market here in Europe for cannabis. Um, you know, and the other thing that, you know, what I've talked about and, and I've gotten sort of, you know, confirmation that folks agree is once Germany goes, 
then sure. you'll start to see the rest of Europe start, you know, start the dominoes will fall, right? Can't say that about Malta or Luxembourg, but yes. Well, Malta's moving, right? So Malta is... But, I mean, who cares, right? Yeah, 500,000 people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's maybe the challenge with Israel. Like, is Israel a big enough market? It's like 8 million. I think it's okay. a big enough market. Yeah, but we look at Germany. Nine million. Right? So, <laughs> What's that? I said, we, we look at Germany as a, you know... When we... Right. I agree, but I mean... Look, in the United States, uh, that would be a decent sized state, actually. So <laughs> I, I care about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the thing is, uh, Israel is always big on technologies. So they and they're forward thinking on the research. So they've been doing yeah. a lot of research for 30 years. Yeah. Um, so when they do come to market, they'll they'll be prepared. Right? Yeah. Um, so what do you what are you excited about in 2022? And, and what are your concerns about 2022? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm always excited and I'm always concerned. So that's a good question. And uh, uh, I don't know. Nothing... Right? <laughs> uh, so I think uh, there are a couple of things that excite me, but I'll, I'll get to the concern first uh, and I'll come back to the excite so we can uh, end on a positive there. So I think, uh, you know, where we are right now with uh, the cannabis stocks down a lot from their peak and even down year to date substantially. And many of them in a bear market. I mean, Canopy Growth just printed, a, a, you know, took out its March 2020 lows, for example, and that's a big stock. So uh, I am concerned. Uh, so why this is happening right now, I, I think is a number of reasons, some fundamental, we kind of touched on some of those, but there, there's a big technical right now. And, and, and that is, I'd call it three, three different things that are impacting the willingness of people to buy stocks right now. Uh, one would be tax loss selling, and that, you know, that, that goes away December 31st. There's another concept, window dressing, which is, and, and this really hurts US ancillary companies and the large Canadian LPs, because these are owned by institutions. And you don't look very bright right now, uh, showing your uh, investors that this is what you're holding. So I think some of them have been selling or certainly not adding to them. They, they don't want to look stupid. So, and then the third part is, you know, the hedge funds do tend to be active in, uh, in the space, both from a long and short perspective, to be fair. But I think they take their risk levels down in, uh, at the end of the year. Uh, typically, you know, if, if they've had a good year, especially, they don't want to risk uh, their, their pay, performance payouts and things like that. So Nobody wants to you know, make a huge bet in the middle of December, which is when we're interviewing this. So what I'm concerned, I think a lot of people, including myself, uh, are excited about 2022. And we kind of expect that this technical is going to go away and things will change. And I guess what I'm concerned about is what happens if things don't. And uh, the good news is these companies for the most part, don't need to sell equity. So it's not like this is a near-term problem. Um, so that, that is a concern of mine right now for, my, for the people that follow me because you know, a lot of them are investing right now and I don't like to see them lose money. And I, I think, so my number one concern is that this market that we're in just keeps going down, even though I don't think it should. So what am I excited about? So a couple of things. Um, the first one, uh, is, is, is easier and we've already talked about it. And I, I think, you know, sometimes people forget that every market in the United States is different. So for instance, when Colorado legalized, it meant literally nothing to the publicly traded stocks. Because remember, those were scams anyway. None of them were doing business in Colorado. So that didn't even exist. So 
Okay, that's easy to understand. Well, what about when Washington legalized? No public companies were allowed. Uh, actually, in Colorado, no public companies then were allowed. So, all right, well, what about California? And that was really funny. You had Canadian LPs going up because California was, was literally opening the doors on January 1st in uh, 2018, right before Jeff Sessions pulls the rug out. Wasn't that long ago. Uh, do I have my year right? Yeah, I do have my year right. January 1st, 2018, so four years ago. And uh, so, but people don't remember that there, there really weren't American cannabis companies in Canada, in California. They were waiting, they were being patient. Uh, and then you get a state like Illinois, which has a lot of public company participation now, but at the time, GTI and Cresco were really the only ones. Uh, and so what we've seen is, you know, the, these public MSOs, uh, east of the Mississippi are very big. And so you get a state like New Jersey, it's, it's literally almost 100% public companies at this point. And so I think the actual uh, go live date for adult use in New Jersey is, is going to be a big deal. Not the type that brings in investors left and right, but something that gives conviction to those that follow the space. And I think it's gonna be important. And I remember uh, from a previous life, um, Whole Foods didn't strike me as a particularly attractively valued stock, but it was a good company many, many years ago. Uh, now it's owned by Amazon, of course, but, uh, but I, I just want to reference, I'm talking about a long time ago, and they opened their first store in New York City. And all of a sudden, it was a game changer. And I didn't think about it in advance, but you had all these New York analysts, Wall Street analysts, they're right there. They walk into the store. They're blown away. They raise their target price and all that. All of a sudden, it's like, aha. And so I think, you know, in New Jersey, when people see the lines, people driving across the bridge from New York and uh, what have you, uh, and, and the, it'll be in the news, I think. I think some new people will, will get attracted to the space again. And I think the existing investors We'll have some relief. So, and it's not just New Jersey next year. It'll be Connecticut and New Mexico. I don't think those are as impactful, but still that I'm excited to see this develop. There's some other states that could legalize as well. And uh, and we can continue to see some progress. I mean, look, Minnesota is a small state. There's just one publicly traded company there, but they're going to add flour. They, they haven't had that. They're going to add edibles. They haven't had that. Just these incremental things get me excited because from my perspective, the cannabis industry has never been better, but the mood has maybe never been worse, except for, you know, in, in that brief period of time from uh, late September of 2019 into March of 2020, when things looked really bad, it's never felt worse than it feels now. Now, here's the bigger thing, and these are hard to handicap, uh, but I think uh, we're looking at very depressed valuations right now for American cannabis companies. And there are companies out there that I would imagine would like to be in the cannabis industry. Now, they can't. Well, let's face it, they can't. But this year, we've seen a very unusual development. Not, not that it's novel because it's happened before. Uh, this unusual development started when Canopy Growth made an investment in uh, acreage, not an investment. They paid the acreage shareholders for an option to buy the whole company. Stupid deal at the time. Not so stupid anymore, necessarily, just to be really clear, but they paid too much, probably picked the wrong company, all sorts of things. This year, Canopy put $400 million into an option to buy Edibles brand, Wana. 
This year, Kronos Group put 110 million into an option to buy uh, like 10 and a half percent of a private MSO that's supposed to go public, Pharmacan. So we're seeing this. We've seen Scott's Miracle Grow create this vehicle, and they're going to do some of this as well. So there's definitely uh, there's been interest in the past, but it's accelerated right now. Layer onto that that the valuations are really better than they've ever been. You, you could argue they were better in March, but you would also you didn't know what the future was going to look like in March of 2020. So kind of with a confidence that the future is going to be brighter and what you pay now to invest in the future, it's never been better. It's never been less speculative, I guess is a better way to say it. Never been closer to an investment grade investment as opposed to a speculative investment. So what I look forward to, Mike, is a company like Ambev or Anheuser-Busch doing one of these deals. So far, these deals have gone through Canada. There's no reason legally that has to happen. There's no reason a Diageo or an Ambev or any number of consumer packaged good companies couldn't do this type of thing with another company. And that would be a super catalyst for the industry uh, to, for, for Bud, which is the stock symbol for Anheuser-Busch, to get into Bud, that's what we like to say. So look, is this going to happen? Uh, it's hard to say. Right. Could it happen? I definitely think so. And you know, on top of it, I have a theory that has looked wrong so far, uh, but um, I, I put it out in public and kind of fell on my face for now, but I, I still think I could be right. And uh, so Altria made an investment at the top in Kronos. And uh, there's some, some interesting things about this. Uh, number one, uh, the stock is now trading very close to its cash value. Number two, the company doesn't burn a lot of cash or anything like that. So it, it doesn't look like a, a, a dumpster fire like canopy growth. They're very focused in, in, in what they don't do. <laughs> they, it's a call option on biosynthesis and they've got really their project in Israel. And, Believe it or not, they're doing better in Canada. They're actually, I believe, the sixth largest player in adult use in Canada. And this probably eludes people because they've done nothing so far. But in the last few months, it's really been ramping up. So you, you have a company with the, an exclusive right to do any kind of cannabis business that Altria wants to do has to go through them. And they're tied to Gotham. Gotham's got their hands in all these assets, Ianthus and others. And so I, uh, so the warrants are running out of time and they're way out of the money. I've gone on the record, and that's why I'm saying this. I think Altria is going to buy Kronos. Kronos has about a billion in cash right now. Uh, uh, Altria has access to low low cost debt capital. Altria is a you know pretty much a dead company. You know selling tobacco. It's not a growth industry, and nobody gets excited about. It. I think it trades at a nine PE and a very low enterprise value to EBITDA. I don't really focus that much on that company. But what I can say is, it would be very easy for them to buy Kronos. Kronos only has a billion in cash. You pay a little bit more than that, you get the cash. And I think that Altria is in a position to do what I was just talking about. So we already saw Kronos put 100 million into Pharmacan. They could just buy all of Pharmacan with another 900 million, but Kronos can't do that. That's too much. It's too big of a risk for Kronos because if you never federally legalize, 
I think Kronos just is out the money and the pharma cam people are like, yay, we got all this money. So, and maybe there's some other way to structure it like an option on an option or something like that. But the point being, if, if Altria is really committed to the cannabis industry, which it should be and which it sounds like it is, then this is something I look forward to. Them buying Kronos Group and putting not a billion, but $5 billion into these types of deals that I'm talking about. And I think that would excite uh, the investor base as well. And uh, cannabis stocks are really attractively valued now. The, the, this is all lining up in my view, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of industries that should they want to enter the cannabis space, you know, we, this would be a great opportunity, right? Yeah. We've heard um, Amazon sort of support cannabis and support right. a lot of that. And we, you know, we never believe they do it out of the goodness of their heart. So we, Right, friend or foe, right. right. So we assume that, they're, you know, they're making moves, right? Yeah. Anybody in the liquor industry or the tobacco industry would is crazy to ignore any of that. So yeah. we're, we're surely we're going to see some of the other industries, you know, they're going to enter the market by buying something. Right. Well, we haven't seen big ones do it. I, I've mentioned a few yeah. examples. There's a company in Canada called Humble and Fume. They have a kind of interesting model where they uh, are a big ancillary products uh, distributor in both uh, United States and in uh, Canada. In Canada, they represent LPs in stores. So they're like a brand rep. So they kind of broker cannabis product sales. And they partnered, I mean, I'm not even going to mention the company. I never even heard of them before, but it's a 70-year-old uh, alcohol distributor. Johnson is what it's called. Johnson Brothers, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, but it doesn't matter. But a 70-year-old alcohol distributor kicked in, uh, I think, $8 million with the uh, ability to take it to 10 to get into California into direct cannabis distribution. So it's, this is at a very small scale, but I think it supports this point of anybody that understands CPG, if they're in tobacco or alcohol, which is threatened to some extent by cannabis, sure. and, and even if they're not threatened, there's definitely some overlap there. So it's a way to diversify and to grow. And we're going to see, I, you know, I threw out Ambev and Diageo, that wasn't an accident, but there's a lot of other types of companies that I think will kind of put two and two together that uh, it, it's more than two and two, it's three and three or something like that. So first of all, I really like this Nancy Mace uh, legislation, like it's not going anywhere. But it, maybe it sparks the conversation. And the first thing I want to see is a Senate version of it. It's just in the House, which that gets us nowhere. But her legislation was less heavy handed on uh, regulation from the FDA and less taxation. Two very important issues. And uh, I thought it was very thoughtful. I think that she is a very, a lot of people kind of wrote her off, but she's a very thoughtful person. She has a very deep personal connection to both the use of cannabis as well as the regulation and legalization in South Carolina. So she knows what she's doing. And uh, so I think when, you know, when the CPG companies kind of listen to people like me, see people like her, it's like, wait a second, just a few years ago, we were worried about Jeff Sessions. Now we're like seeing this competition between the Democrats and the Republicans. And sure, it's gonna take a while, but why not? plant a flag now. We know now that the downside isn't there anymore. The, the downside of, hey, I'm Mr. Big or Mrs. Big CPG company. And if I take my billion dollars and do this kind of weird transaction, I may never see my billion dollars. And uh, so now, 
not only that, they could go to jail or something. So now it's a totally different conversation. So you've got the, the federal backdrop is better. The valuations are low. The pipeline is very robust. So even if we don't get that federal legalization, uh, the, the, the state by state expansion pipeline is robust. So I, I think it's, it's all there, right? So. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting, I was just thinking of, we were at uh, an event about a year ago, and we were talking with a startup company, and then we were talking with a pharma. And when we're talking with the startup company, they're talking about months, like looking, being able to look ahead six months, maybe a year. And when we were talking to the pharma, she was talking about a 10-year plan. Right. You know what I mean? So, and I mean, I think that is the big difference because if the big players want to come in, they have a 10 year focus or you know, yep. they have a much longer focus. So they don't need for it to happen tomorrow. Well, it's so it wasn't that long ago that the idea uh, was if you want to be in cannabis, then what you need to do is buy a Canadian LP. And so a couple suckers fell for that constellation in, in uh, they didn't buy it, but they, you know, they moved to control it, that that was the way to do it. It's federally legal. You don't have to worry as long as they don't violate any rules, you, you're fine. And, and that was a good model at the time. That's no longer a good model. There's no, look, the, the, the companies in Canada have had plenty of time to prove if they're good companies or not. And honestly, the largest companies haven't really proven it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's being nice, by the way. Yeah, so, <laughs> so there's some small companies that I think have proven it, but you're not gonna get a lot of bang for your buck there. But there are some big companies in the United States that didn't, that they weren't capital markets phenomenons. These companies were essentially bootstrapped and uh, you know, in, raised and deployed minimal amounts of capital and got huge returns on their capital that have really proven themselves. And, uh, you know, like I said, we have this revenue tracker and uh, there are 11 companies right now that have, I believe, a billion dollar or more market cap, I think is the right way to say it. Uh, maybe it's 10 right now, things moving around, but uh, uh, I believe it, it's probably 10, not 11. But, uh, and these companies, uh, you know, I like some more than others. Some, you know, they're different. Some of them are more retail focused. Some of them are willing to take lower margins to be in places like California and Michigan. Some of them are more wholesale focused than retail. They're, they're all different. The leaderships are different. So I'm, I don't know who they would like the most, but I could take a guess. And, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll throw one out. Uh, so Planet 13 is a company I followed for a long time. And you know, what I, I think would appeal to a company, and I don't even know if, uh, you know, I, I talk about some things, and I don't research them, but conceptually, Hard Rock Cafe, wow, I mean, they're a cool, they used to be anyway, a cool company, I don't know what their financial status is now, but, but that's the kind of company I can imagine them buying that has these superstores, very tourist, so I don't want to predict that because I have no idea, but what I'm trying to say is, there are different types of companies. Uh, that one trades below a billion, by the way, but they're, they have substantial revenue in some cases, in, in that case, profit or adjusted EBITDA profit. It's hard to have net income because of the owner's taxes, but still, I think that there's, this is the time that these companies, um, given, given all these factors I just mentioned, um, this, this would be the time for these types of strategic investors to just go direct in the United States and, 
you know, they have to be creative. They can't buy the companies because of uh, federal illegality. So uh, at least for now, if we, if we get really lucky and the exchanges change their rules and allow these companies to list, even though they're dealing with the federally illegal um, drug, then that would be a game changer because then all of a sudden, if Diageo or whatever wanted to do it, I guess they could. They, they might not because they might, their own internal uh, risk control might be a little bit different. Uh, their views on risk, like just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Uh, but in any event, if that happens, I think we're going to see just, well, that would be good. Forget the consolidation. It's going to be great if that were to happen. I didn't mention that as something really positive that could happen just because people don't understand this. The exchanges are not prohibited from listing these companies. They choose not to do so. And I understand these exchanges are, are cash flow machines. Why would they want to do something that could totally you know, uh, kill the golden goose? So, uh, but in any event, this, they have to get creative. They can, they can tie these companies up in certain ways. I, I have an idea, which is like, take a company like Hershey's, they sue cannabis companies for knocking off their brands, right? Or, or what have you. Well, they could make a deal with, a, you know, uh, MSOA, I don't want to name a name. And they could say, here's the deal, we're going to pay you uh, through a convertible note, because they can't put the money directly in, apparently. And we're going to pay you X. It's a down payment. Then we're going to structure a takeout price based on whatever. You know, it's complex stuff. But oh, by the way, you're going to start manufacturing Hershey's cannabis edibles. And you can't pay us a royalty. So you get to do it royalty free too. So I'm just spitballing like how this could play out. And I, I really think that's what excites me about 2022. I don't know how significant it's going to be. It could be more like this Johnson Brothers small and targeted market, or it could be something bigger. And I sure hope the latter. Because I remember like a year ago, Wrigley's was making rumblings. And I don't know that anything yeah. ever came of that. Oh, Rig Wrigley's was suing. So it's kind of funny because Rig Wrigley's, uh, Bo, Bo Wrigley runs yeah. Certera, uh, or it's called Parallel now, sorry. Parallel, and uh, it was kind of interesting to see Wrigley's. I almost thought, like, okay, he's just trying to corner the whole market himself, and he's going to put everybody out of business with Wrigley's doing that. I don't know if he has any control over Wrigley's at all, exerts any influence, but uh, yeah, there's been litigation there as well. So, anyway, there's you know, low valuations, strong growth ahead, creative minds, these things can yield some positive things, Mike. Um, we very much appreciate your time today. If people want to learn more about what you're doing, where can they find you? Uh, always at my desk, but uh, <laughs> I don't think that's what you're asking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I, I work long hours, so you can find me all day at my desk. Uh, ask my wife. But uh, so 420investor.com, 420investor.com uh, will take you to a landing page uh, where it uh, talks about that product and you can learn more about it. And if you join then you can access the product. But uh, if you want to learn more about me in, in a very easy way, uh, uh, www.newcannabisventures.com. And uh, what you can do there, we have an app. You can, if you like news apps, you can download our app. Um, uh, and that's free, of course, and you'll get all the news. And then you can also sign up for that weekly uh, newsletter. 
which comes by email. And uh, you can always access the newsletter on the website as well. But uh, that's the best way to find me. And you'll find my Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, all that through through those venues. Again, Alan, we appreciate your time. We, we uh, enjoyed the conversation. We will uh, check back with you in a year and see how those predictions worked out. Um, and uh, we look forward to more conversations. All right, great. Happy New Year to you. You too. Thank you very much. All right.